Episode 3. Fourth Estate presents Cook's Chronicles, a podcast from me, Nigel Slater. In this series, you'll be joining me on the story of my life in the kitchen, from the first jam tart I made with my mother, standing on a chair, trying to reach the aga, through to what I'm cooking now. In this episode, we'll discover the unparalleled joy of making the perfect tart, and how really serving someone a slice of tart is a true act of love. If I make a tart for you, you will know I love you. It takes an hour to make the dough, line and bake the pastry case, then another to make the filling, bake it again, and then to let it cool. Making a tart is both a fiddle and a joy. You need to set aside a couple of hours, have a pastry board and rolling pin, some baking beans, and own a suitable metal tart tin with a removable base. That said, I struggle to think of a single recipe that fills me with more satisfaction. I make tarts with short-crust pastry, puff pastry, and occasionally a shortbread base. Fillings follow the ebb and flow of the season. Asparagus in spring, mushrooms in the autumn. For Christmas, there may be prawns or butternut squash. Sweet ones, too. A pale lemon tart in spring, hazelnuts or figs in autumn. At Christmas, there will be an almond and mincemeat. At cooking school, we learn to fill our pastry cases with restraint. Soft, caramel-sweet onions with a piquant goat's cheese, spinach and sautéed mushrooms, lardons of bacon and cubes of gruyere. Savoury tarts fail when there are too many ingredients introduced. A cluttered tart with too little custard to hold it together will fall apart on the plate. The custard is a delicate and silky being. The eggs, cream, nutmeg and herbs make something you want to savour. The custard should never be reduced to the thing that supports your other ingredients, even though it does. Give your ingredients room to breathe. I noticed very quickly how adding watery ingredients such as tomatoes or courgettes to a tart can destroy the texture of the custard. A courgette tart can be worth making if you grate and salt your courgettes first, squeezing out the moisture with your fist, then combining with mint or tarragon, or perhaps some snippets of crisp bacon. Before you add onions, it is worth cooking them slowly in a pan, letting them soften till sweet and jammy. It will take three times longer than anyone tells you, 30 to 40 minutes at least. Winter onions, which are quite dry, will take less time than the juicier summer onions, having less water to bubble away. Marry such sweetness with sharp or piquant ingredients, salty cheeses, pickled gherkins, or sauerkraut. For several years in the early 1980s, I made tarts for a food shop, an early morning job. The dishes were lined with shortcrust pastry and baked blind. The dough kept in shape by baking parchment and baking beans. We filled them with a seasoned custard and whatever herbs and vegetables felt right for the time of year. Grated courgette and feta in the summer. And in the autumn, as the leaves turned to gold, we filled the pastry cases to the brim with mushrooms, pancetta and parmesan. I didn't know then that the crispest pastry comes from using a metal tin, not a white china flan case. 
Neither had I learned that they're even crisper if you put a metal baking sheet in the oven to get hot and bake them on that. There is little less appetising than an underfilled tart. The best looking are those whose custard quivers perilously close to the rim, giving your tart depth and generosity. Mine were sold by the slice and as whole tarts. We called them quiches in those days. And they worked well eaten cold too. But the best were those we served warm, when the filling has been given time to settle. The early tarts I made were given their savour with grated farmhouse cheddar. They were good, but with that came a fatty quality that was too rich for the egg and cream custard. They were attempts with crumbled Stilton and Gorgonzola, Fontina and Camembert, but it was those made with finely grated Parmesan, Pecorino or Grana Padano that won me over. The hard cheeses lent a clean, unfatty umami savour and texture that I love. Mushroom and dill tart. Serve six. For the pastry, 90 grams of butter, 150 grams of plain flour, an egg yolk, 40 grams of finely grated parmesan. For the filling, 400 mils of double cream, a 10 centimetre piece of parmesan rind, 300 grams of small mushrooms, 3 tablespoons of olive oil, 15 grams of dill, and three large eggs. You will need a 22 centimetre tart tin with a removable base. Cut the butter into cubes and rub it into the flour with your fingertips until it resembles coarse, fresh breadcrumbs. Mix in the egg yolk, lightly beaten, and the parmesan, bringing the ingredients together into a firm ball of dough, adding a tablespoon or two of cold water if necessary. You can do this in seconds using a food processor. Tip the dough onto a lightly floured board and knead for 30 seconds or so, no longer, shaping it into a ball as you go. Wrap in cling film or baking parchment and chill in the fridge for 30 minutes. While the dough chills, make the filling. Pour the cream into a medium-sized saucepan, add the parmesan rind and bring to the boil. Watch carefully removing the cream from the heat when it starts to boil, then cover with a lid and set aside. Cut the mushrooms into small pieces in a small frying pan, warm the oil, then fry the mushrooms for four to five minutes until slightly sticky. Chop the dill, fronds and thin stalks, toss with the mushrooms and set aside. Remove the dough from the fridge and tenderly roll into a disc large enough to line the tart tin. Press the pastry into the corners, patching it where necessary. Make certain there are no tears or holes. Chill for another 20 minutes, allowing the pastry to relax. Set the oven at 190 degrees centigrade and place an upturned baking sheet on the middle shelf to heat up. Tuck a sheet of baking parchment or foil in the tart tin. Fill with baking beans and slide into the preheated oven on top of the warm baking sheet. Bake for 25 minutes, then carefully remove the foil and beans and return to the oven for a further five minutes until dry to the touch. Lower the heat to 180 degrees centigrade. Break the eggs into a bowl and beat gently, then add the cream, removing the parmesan rind. Season with salt and pepper 
add the fried mushrooms, then spoon into the tart tin and bake for 25 minutes until lightly set, the pastry golden. There are days when I want the lightness of puff pastry rather than the richness of shortcrust. I could make my own, but rarely do. The frozen, ready-rolled pastry, made with butter, is both time-saving and, in my book, perfectly acceptable. Puff pastry works well where a soft cheese and perhaps some creme fraiche or cream cheese is used instead of an egg-custard filling. The puff pastry rises around the edge, creating a deep hollow for a cargo of goat's cheese, slices of fried aubergine, tomatoes or short tips of asparagus. Asparagus tarts Makes six round tarts Eight asparagus spears 250 grams of puff pastry, a beaten egg, 150 grams of goat's cheese, 100 mils of creme fraiche, one teaspoon of thyme leaves, and 50 grams of finely grated parmesan. Set the oven at 200 degrees centigrade. Put an upturned baking sheet in the oven. Bring a medium pan of water to the boil. Trim the asparagus then cut each spear into three short lengths. Drop the asparagus into the pan and let it boil for three minutes. Lift out with a draining spoon and lower into a bowl of iced water. Roll the pastry out to a rectangle, measuring 38 by 25 centimetres. Cut out six discs of pastry, approximately 12 centimetres in diameter. Place the discs on a lined baking sheet. Using the tip of a knife or a cookie cutter, score a smaller circle one centimetre in from the edges of each piece of pastry. Brush a little beaten egg around the outside of each piece of pastry. Drain the asparagus on kitchen paper. Crush the goat's cheese with a fork and fold in the creme fraiche, thyme and half the parmesan. Divide the mixture between the six discs of pastry and put four asparagus pieces on each. Scatter over the remaining parmesan. Put the baking sheet on top of the preheated sheet already in the oven and bake for 25 to 30 minutes until the tarts are golden. Eat immediately. Rarely are tarts seen alone. We tend to bring them to the table in the company of other small dishes for a summer lunch. Radishes on a dish of ice a coarse piggy terrine, a bowl of leaves and herbs, or a wedge of cheese. And yet they can be a main dish, if the filling is substantial and it is served with generosity. In the spring of 2018, I made a tart that would pass as a principal dish, satisfying enough to be offered as you might a pie, with a single green vegetable on the side. The result was a saffron-hued butternut and bacon tart, served with nothing more than a big blue-and-white bowl of peas at its side. The recipe hit the spot, and I've been making it ever since. Other ideas followed. A pastry case crammed with salmon and cream cheese, another with shredded salami and gherkins. The content is generally more seafood, meat or vegetables than custard. The tart cranked up a notch. Butternut and bacon tart. In theory, there is little need to peel the butternut squash, but I do here. The skin, however tender, 
seems at odds with the gentle texture of the tart filling. Add as much water as you need to make the pastry easy to roll, but it is worth remembering that the less water you put in, the less likely it is to shrink in the oven. Serves for For the pastry 90 grams of butter 150 grams of plain flour 1 egg yolk 4 tablespoons of parmesan grated and 1 to 2 tablespoons of water For the filling 500 grams of butternut squash 200 grams of smoked streaky bacon a tablespoon of olive oil 2 eggs 250 mils of double cream 50 mils of milk and a small handful of chopped parsley. To finish, parmesan, grated, two tablespoons. You will need a 22 centimeter tart tin with a removable base. Make the pastry, cut the butter into small dice and rub into the flour with your fingertips until it has the texture of soft, fresh breadcrumbs. Alternatively, reduce to fine crumbs in a food processor. Add the egg yolk, the parmesan and the water, a tablespoon at a time, stopping when you have a firm, evenly textured dough. Set the oven at 190 degrees centigrade. Peel the squash, half lengthways, and discard the fibres and seeds. You should be left with about 350 grams. Then cut the flesh into short wedges, each weighing roughly 35 grams. Place the pieces in a steamer basket and cook over boiling water for 8 to 10 minutes until soft. Cut the bacon into pieces the size of a postage stamp, then fry in the oil in a shallow pan until the fat is translucent and just starting to crisp. Remove from the heat. Beat the eggs, cream and milk, season, then add the chopped parsley. Place the tart on a baking tray and line with the pastry making certain you have pushed the dough deep into the edges and that there are no tears or cracks. Chill for 20 minutes in the fridge. Line the pastry case with baking parchment and baking beans, then bake for 20 minutes. Remove the beans and return the pastry case to the oven for 3 to 5 minutes or until the pastry is dry to the touch. Lower the heat to 180 degrees centigrade. Place the pieces of squash in the pastry shell, then scatter over the crisped bacon. Pour in the custard and dust the surface with the grated parmesan. Bake for 30 minutes or until the custard is just set. Remove from the oven and leave to cool until just warm when tarts such as this are at their most delicious. By definition, a pie has some sort of top crust, pastry, potato, crumbs, meringue, whatever. A tart, on the other hand, is generally open-topped. There are anomalies, such as pecan and pumpkin pie, neither of which has a top crust, and Bakewell tart, whose filling is covered with a thin white icing, and linsetort, with its woven lattice of pastry. To add to the mix, there are some pies I prefer to refer to as a tart. They are thin, mostly, such as the one I made on a winter's day during the pandemic, when the cupboard was almost bare. A tart with a top. Pedants can look away now. It's filling made from nothing but softened leeks and crumbled cheddar 
under a dome of buttery puff pastry. A tart of leeks and cheddar. Serve six. A kilo of leeks. 70 grams of butter. 450 grams of puff pastry. 200 grams of cheddar, a full-flavoured farmhouse type, and a beaten egg. Trim the leeks, removing their roots and the darker green section of the leaves. Thinly slice the white and pale green of the leeks, then wash them very thoroughly in cold water. Leeks have a habit of holding onto grit between their layers. Melt the butter in a heavy-bottomed pan over a low to moderate heat. If you use a thin pan, the leeks will burn. Tip the leeks into the pan. Cut a circle of baking parchment slightly larger than the diameter of the pan and place it on top of the leeks and cover with a lid. Leave them to cook for about 25 minutes till they are soft and pale. They shouldn't colour. The leeks will soften in their own steam. When the leeks are cooked, move them from the pan to a shallow bowl using a slotted spoon. You don't want the filling to be wet. Leave to cool. Set the oven at 220 degrees centigrade and put a baking sheet in the oven to get hot. Roll out half of the pastry and cut out a 24 centimetre disc. Then do the same with the other half. Line a second baking sheet with baking parchment. Place one piece of pastry on the lined baking sheet then spoon the cooled leeks over most of the pastry, leaving a two-centimetre rim of pastry around the edge. Crumble the cheese over the leeks, then brush the pastry rim with beaten egg. Lower the second disc of pastry over the top and press the edges very firmly together to seal. Brush the pastry with the remaining beaten egg. Cut a small slit in the top. It lets the steam out and stops the pastry splitting. Then place the baking sheet on top of the one already in the oven. Bake for 20 to 25 minutes till golden. All of which brings me to my favourite savoury tart. It made its first appearance in Appetite, and I make it to this day. A thin, simple cheese and onion tart. Serves four as a light lunch, twelve as nibbles. Six small to medium onions. A kilo. A thick slice, about 50 grams, of butter. Two tablespoons of olive oil. 320 grams of puff pastry. 120 grams of telegio, or similar semi-soft cheese. And enough thyme leaves to make a little pile on your palm. Peel the onions. Cut them in half from stem to root. Then into thick segments, about eight to each onion half. Put them in a shallow pan with the butter and oil and leave over a low to moderate heat until they are soft. Let them take their time. They need to be translucent, golden and sticky, but not brown. This only comes with slow cooking and it is pointless to try and hurry it. The actual timing will depend on the type of onion. Some contain more water than others, but you can expect them to take a good 30 minutes or longer. Stir them regularly and cover them with a lid if they are colouring too soon. Set the oven at 200 degrees centigrade. Roll the pastry into a rectangle, 35 by 25 centimetres. Score a border 2 centimetres in from the edge. Tip the onions onto the pastry. 
pushing them almost, but not quite, to the border. Brush the rim with some of the onion butter. Slice the cheese thinly, then break it into small pieces, tucking it in amongst the onions. Scatter over the thyme. Bake until the pastry is golden and puffed, and the cheese is melting, 15 to 20 minutes. Cut into 4 or 12 rectangles to serve. Sweet Tarts Almond and apricot, prune, plum, lemon, treacle. There is rarely a tart that doesn't tempt this eater. At home, I make both shallow tarts with a frangipan and fruit filling, plum, greengage, cherry or blackcurrant, and puff pastry tarts, raspberry, strawberry, apricot. The latter are rarely filled with the classic creme patissiere, but more likely something brighter tasting, such as ricotta, mascarpone or whipped cream. The first and simplest tart I make is laughably straightforward. You take a ready-rolled sheet of puff pastry, bake it, cool it, and fill it with cream, then cover it with raspberries. Job done. It fills the need for crisp pastry and soft fruit. One along from that is the thin individual apricot tart, its surface sticky with jam and flakes of pastry that stick to your lips. In late summer and autumn, there is an urge for a tart that is straight from the oven, the skins bursting with juice, the top shining and sticky with fruit glaze. For this, I've always used stone fruits, especially plums and nectarines. From Tender, Volume 1. At the height of summer, we often eat around the zinc table in the garden. Whilst everyone is wiping the roasting juices from their plates with a few soft salad leaves, I take the opportunity to slip a tray of paper-thin apricot tarts into the oven. A certain amount of prep is required. The apricots need to be cooked and left sleeping in their syrup. The pastry has to be cut, the oven on. It is a rather wonderful moment, bringing to the table a tray of warm, slim pastries, their crusts holding a handful of melting apricots. As a rule, tarts are filed under serious cooking. There is pastry to be made, baking blind to be done, fillings to be mixed, a glaze of some sort, recipes that take hours rather than minutes. Enter frozen puff pastry and tinned apricots. Commercial puff pastry is pretty good, especially, for which read only, if it is made with butter. Apricots survive the canning process better than most fruits, they can often be better than the fresh fruits you so carefully poach in sugar syrup. Tarts made using such everyday shortcuts still possess the crisp, buttery pastry and melting fruits you would get if you spent hours making your own puff pastry and preparing your own fruit. Quick apricot tarts makes four tarts, ten fresh apricots, or twenty if tinned or poached in syrup. 3 tablespoons of caster sugar, 320 grams of puff pastry, and 4 heaped tablespoons of apricot jam. If you are using fresh apricots, halve and stone them, then put them in a small saucepan, add the sugar, and enough water to just cover the fruit and bring to the boil. Lower the heat and simmer for about 10 minutes till the fruit is soft and tender. The apricots must be so soft you could crush them between your fingers. Drain them. 
If you are using tinned apricots, drain them in a sieve over a bowl. Set the oven at 220 degrees centigrade. Place a baking sheet in the oven to get hot. Roll out the pastry to a rectangle 30 by 23 centimetres. That is pretty much the size of a roll of ready-made puff pastry. Using a 12 centimetre diameter template, a saucer or small plate or large cookie cutter, cut four rounds of pastry. Place each one on a lightly floured baking sheet, lined with baking parchment if you wish. Score a wide rim around the outside of each one, about a centimetre in from the edge. I use a 10 centimetre cutter for this, taking care not to cut right through the pastry. Place the apricots on the pastry, four or five halves to each tart, steering clear of the rim. Slide the baking sheet on top of the hot baking sheet in the oven and bake for 10 to 12 minutes, till the pastry is puffed and golden. Warm the apricot jam in a small saucepan. Remove the tarts from the oven and brush the jam over the tarts covering both fruit and pastry. Then return to the oven for three to four minutes till the edges have browned and the glaze is just starting to caramelise. Let the tarts settle for ten minutes before eating, only so you don't scald your mouth. The thick custard filling of classic French patisserie isn't really my thing. That said, I am partial to a vanilla slice. I prefer a filling that is cleaner and fresh tasting. Enter ricotta. If I can get ricotta fiore de latte, then I will use it, unadorned, with sweetly milky curds, like an old-fashioned milk ice cream. If not, then I will use whatever I can get, and stir it gently with a little cream. The pale fresh cream can be flavoured with citrus zest or orange flower water, a dusting of icing sugar if you must. One winter, when the blood oranges were in season, I laid them on top of mounds of ricotta, trickling rivulets of liquid honey and thyme leaves over the white clouds and blood-red orange slices. There was sweetness and nutty crumbs of shortbread, but also a breath of the Mediterranean, of orange groves, beehives and wild thyme. Not a tart case or baking bean in sight. There is a certain quiet delight in revisiting a classic. We will probably never know who was the first to tuck apricots, plums or greengages into a frangipan tart, a sweet almond cocoon for the fruit. I do think a little bowl of creme fraiche will be welcome. Plum frangipan tart serves eight. For the pastry, 200 grams of flour, 100 grams of butter, an egg yolk, a little water. For the filling, 100 grams of butter, 125 grams of caster sugar, two eggs, 125 grams of ground almonds, 60 grams of plain flour, 400 grams of small plums. You will also need a round 22 centimetre tart tin, at least three and a half centimetres deep, with a removable base and beans for baking blind. Put the flour and butter cut into small pieces, into the bowl of a food processor. Add a pinch of salt and blitz to fine breadcrumbs. If you prefer, rub the butter into the flour with your fingertips. Add the egg yolk and enough water to bring the dough to a firm ball. The less you add, the better, 
as too much will cause your pastry case to shrink in the oven. Pat the pastry into a flat round on a floured surface. Then roll out until it is large enough to line the tart tin. Lower the pastry into the tin. Push the dough right into the edges where the rim joins the base without stretching the pastry. Trim the overhanging pastry and place in the fridge to chill for about 30 minutes. Set the oven at 190 degrees centigrade. Put a baking sheet in the oven to warm. Line the pastry case with baking parchment and baking beans and slide the tin onto the hot baking sheet. Bake for 20 minutes, then remove from the oven and carefully lift the beans out. Return the pastry case to the oven for 5 minutes or so until the surface is dry to the touch. Remove from the oven and set aside. Turn the oven down to 160 degrees centigrade and return the baking sheet to the oven. Make the filling. Using a food mixer, cream the butter and sugar together until pale and fluffy. Lower the speed, then mix in the eggs and slowly fold in the ground almonds and flour. Spoon the almond filling into the cooked pastry case, smoothing it lightly with the back of the spoon. Cut the plums in half and remove their stones. Place the plums on top of the almond filling Neatly or randomly as the mood takes you, slide the tart tin onto the hot baking sheet and bake for 40 minutes till the filling is well risen and golden brown. Remove the tart from the oven and allow to cool slightly before serving. Sometimes a dessert can bring a little peace into our lives. A plate of food without the sharpness, spice or searing colours. A dessert that whispers as your fork slides through. I'm thinking here of a custard tart or vanilla slice, a bowl of syllabub, or a spoonful of rice pudding. It is with this in mind that I made a tart of ricotta and cream, vanilla and eggs, a gentle tart, soft, creamy, unchallenging, a tart to smooth jangled nerves and ruffled feathers, and a dairy lover's sweet dream. This tart charms with its simplicity. That said, there is no harm in something on the side. A little bowl of apricot, plum or blackcurrant preserves, a dish of baked rhubarb, a trickle of passion fruit juice and seeds, or a plate of painstakingly sliced and trimmed blood orange segments will all be welcome. Ricotta orange tart serves eight. For the pastry, 180 grams of plain flour, 90 grams of butter, a heaped tablespoon of icing sugar, an egg yolk, a little iced water. For the filling, 500 grams of ricotta, 70 grams of caster sugar, a medium orange, a large egg plus an extra egg yolk, one teaspoon of vanilla extract, and one level tablespoon of corn flour. To finish, 125 mils of double cream, 150 grams of soured cream, and icing sugar. You will also need a 20 centimetre loose-bottomed tart tin. To make the pastry, put the flour and butter into a food processor and blitz to fine crumbs. Alternatively, make it by hand by rubbing the butter cut into small dice 
into the flour with your fingertips. It should resemble fine, fresh breadcrumbs. Add the icing sugar and egg yolk, then the iced water. Tablespoon should be enough, but be prepared to add a little more if necessary. You want a firm dough that will roll without crumbling. Tip the dough onto a lightly floured board. Bring together in a ball, then wrap in baking parchment and refrigerate for 30 minutes. And please don't skip this, otherwise your pastry will shrink as it bakes. Set the oven at 190 degrees centigrade and place a baking sheet in the oven. You will bake your tart on top of it. The extra heat it gives will ensure a crisp base. Remove the pastry from the fridge, roll it out into a disc large enough to fit the tart tin and come up the sides, then lower it into the tin. Press the dough gently into the edges and up the sides. Trim the top of the tart, cutting the pastry level with the top of the tin. Gently press a piece of baking parchment or kitchen foil into the tin on top of the pastry and up the sides with a generous overhang. It makes it easier to remove if you have some spare to grab hold of. Fill it to the brim with baking beans. I use old coffee beans, they've been going forever. Then place on the hot baking sheet and bake for 15 minutes. Remove the paper or foil and beans. Then return the tin to the oven for 5 to 7 minutes until the base of the pastry feels dry to the touch. Remove and lower the heat to 160 degrees centigrade. Mix the filling. Put the ricotta and sugar in the bowl of a food mixer. Zest the orange. Add the egg and egg yolk, the vanilla and orange zest, and mix briefly. Add the corn flour, mix again, then transfer to the pastry case, smoothing flat with a rubber spatula. Return to the oven and bake for 25 minutes. Filling will appear not quite set in the middle. It will wobble a little when lightly shaken. That is as it should be. Leave to cool, then refrigerate for an hour. Beat the double cream till almost thick. It should sit in soft folds, like an unmade bed, rather than stand in peaks. Fold the soured cream in gently with a fork, then spoon on top of the tart, pushing it gently over to cover the surface. Return to the fridge for an hour. To serve, dust with sifted icing sugar. Your tart needs no decoration. Its beauty is in its simplicity and the contrast between soured cream and sweet filling. The thick, nutty crunch of a pecan pie. The tooth-juddering sweetness of treacle tart. The lusciously cloying decadence of a tart of dark chocolate. These are recipes whose popularity is universal. What interests me are nutty tarts, those whose filling is made with roasted almonds or hazelnuts, Something to make on afternoons when I've been working outside. When someone far away is burning leaves, the garden damp and smelling faintly of mushrooms. A grey day turning slowly to gold. I come indoors, light the fire, and can think only of baking. Something sweet and nutty maybe. A cake or a tart. This time, I make a short crust pastry case and fill it with a mixture of ground and halved hazelnuts a sort of frangipan with roasted nuts. As it bakes, 
It reminds me of the marzipan tart I made thirty years ago at the castle, its fudgy almond paste filling hidden under a lattice of short pastry. A tender tart whose pastry was crisp and light and whose filling was chewy with toasted nuts. I serve this one in thin slices. Toasted Hazelnut Tart For the pastry, 180 grams of plain flour, 90 grams of butter, an egg yolk, a heaped tablespoon of icing sugar, a little iced water, about two tablespoons. For the filling, 150 grams of skinned hazelnuts, plus 50 grams for the top, 175 grams of butter, 175 grams of caster sugar, two eggs, 150 grams of plain flour, half a teaspoon of vanilla extract, and 200 grams of raspberries. You will need a loose bottom tart tin 22 centimetres in diameter, that's 20 centimetres across the base. To make the pastry, put the flour and butter into a food processor and blitz to fine crumbs. If you prefer, you can make it by hand by rubbing the butter cut into small dice into the flour with your fingertips. Either way, it should resemble fine, fresh breadcrumbs. Add the egg yolk, icing sugar and iced water. A tablespoon or two should be enough, but add a little more if necessary. You want a firm dough that will roll without crumbling. Tip the dough onto a lightly floured board. Bring together in a ball, then wrap in baking parchment and refrigerate for 30 minutes. Place the pastry on a lightly floured board and roll it out into a disc a little larger than the tart tin. Lift it, with the help of the rolling pin, into the tart tin. Then push it tenderly into the edges and up the sides. Trim the overhanging pastry. Leave no holes or tears and chill the pastry for 30 minutes. Set the oven at 190 degrees centigrade. Place an empty baking sheet in the oven. You will bake the tart on this. Place a piece of baking parchment or foil in the pastry case, lightly flattening it to cover the pastry. Then fill it with baking beans. Bake for 20 minutes. Make the filling. Spread the hazelnuts out onto a baking sheet and toast them in the oven for about 10 minutes, watching them carefully. They should turn a little darker and smell warmly nutty. Tip them into the bowl of a food processor and process briefly. The idea is not to reduce the nuts to fine crumbs, but to a mixture of sizes, both fine crumbs and larger pieces, a mixture of grit and gravel if you like. Remove the tart case from the oven and lift out the parchment and beans. Return to the oven for five to seven minutes until the surface of the pastry feels dry to the touch. Lower the heat to 180 degrees centigrade. Cream the butter and sugar together to a soft, light consistency, then introduce the eggs, lightly beaten, a little at a time. Mix in the flour, ground nuts and the vanilla extract. Spread half of the mixture over the pastry case. Add the raspberries, then the rest of the mixture. Bake for about 30 to 35 minutes until the top is golden brown, the filling lightly firm. Leave to settle for a good 20 minutes before slicing. 
I loved school dinners, and in particular the puddings. The dented aluminium trays with their doughy cargo of yellow sponge and red jam. Deep apple crumble with its curiously moorish sandy topping. And, for me at least, the quiet joy of watching rhubarb juice and custard curdle together in their dish. Best pudding of all was treacle tart. Large, shallow trays with thick pastry and a treacly middle gooey enough to pull your fillings out. Even now, the smell of treacle tart will take me back to my days as dinner monitor, a feeder even then. No longer a receptacle for stale breadcrumbs, a treacle tart can now be found on the coolest of restaurant menus, thick and wobbly, made with sourdough crumbs and served with an egg of creme fraiche, or dark and skinny, with a hint of black treacle. This is a recipe that refuses to die, despite it being mostly sugar. Recipes for it are a minefield. Even some of the most trusted names slip up with this recipe, producing a tart that is overly sweet, dry or mean. The pastry should be short and without sugar, the filling as deep as it is sweet. Treacle tart is what it is, a soft and chewy party of golden syrup and butter. I, for one, am helpless to resist. A spritz of lemon juice is a pleasing addition to the classic recipe. It slices through the sweetness. And with citrus in mind, I've recently taken to stirring a hefty dollop of marmalade. The bitter notes of the orange jam more than welcome amongst the sugar hit of golden syrup. Marmalade treacle tart. You will need a pie plate with sloping sides. All pie plates vary in size. For the sake of accuracy, my pie plate measures 20 centimetres across the bottom and 27 centimetres across the top from rim to rim. Serves eight. For the pastry, 200 grams of plain flour, 100 grams of butter cold from the fridge, an egg yolk and iced water. For the filling, 350 grams of golden syrup, 450 grams of marmalade, three tablespoons of double cream, an egg yolk, and 300 grams of fresh white breadcrumbs. Make the pastry, put the flour and butter into a food processor, and blitz to fine crumbs. You can do this by hand if you like, rubbing the butter, cut into small dice, into the flour with your fingertips. It should resemble fine, fresh breadcrumbs. Add the egg yolk, lightly beaten, and the iced water. A tablespoon or two should be enough. You want a firm but easy-to-roll dough. Bring the dough together into a ball, then wrap in baking parchment and refrigerate for 30 minutes. Place the pastry on a lightly floured board and roll it out into a disc a little larger than the pie plate. Lift it, with the help of the rolling pin, into the pie plate, then push it tenderly into the edges, up the sides and over the rim. Trim any overhanging pastry. Leave no holes or tears. Chill the pastry for 30 minutes. Set the oven at 190 degrees centigrade and place a baking sheet in the oven to get hot. Line the pastry case with foil or baking parchment, fill with baking beans and bake for 20 minutes. Remove the beans and parchment and return the tart to the oven for 5 minutes or until dry to the touch. Then remove from the oven. Lower the heat to 180 degrees centigrade.
Warm the golden syrup in a saucepan. Add the marmalade, and as soon as it becomes liquid, remove from the heat. Add the cream, egg yolk, and then the breadcrumbs. Tip into the baked tart case and bake for 30 minutes.